and welcome to Measure to Metric, a podcast about engineering monuments, the people who built them, and the people who use them. My name is Vivian Yu. My name is John Julius. I'm a civil engineer. And I'm married to a civil engineer. This episode, we're going to do things a little bit differently. It is International Women in Engineering Day on June 23rd, I believe. So it coincides with the same week that this episode comes out. And in celebration of that, we have hosted a panel speaking with some of the women in engineering and talking about their experiences, their challenges, and just what they do. So this episode is going to feature myself, Vivian Yu, civil engineer. I think we went over that. And my colleagues, Pippa Higgins, who is a design manager with Mont McDonald. She's got quite an extensive experience in both the UK and now in Canada. And also a former colleague, Ariane Kauks, who is a project manager working mostly in highway engineering in Ontario. I worked with her several years before I joined Mont McDonald. I really hope you guys enjoy this episode and give us any feedback if you guys agree with what we said or have any comments, objections. If you're also a woman in engineering, we'd love to hear back from you on your experiences. I think it's just a great time to celebrate women in engineering. Mm -hmm. And if you're a woman thinking about going into engineering or wanting to go into engineering, also reach out. Hopefully you find it encouraging and, you know, Hopefully you find it encouraging. It gets pretty real at a few points. <laughs> Here we go. Thank you both for joining us. I'll introduce Pippa, Pippa Higgins. She is the design manager at Mont McDonald, and she's been in Canada with us for about three years. And prior to that, she was working in the UK primarily in civil and building construction. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds good. And then we also have Ariane Kauks, who I worked with for a number of years at Morrison Hirschfield. She's now at Parsons. She's a project manager working mostly in highway construction. Yep. Great. So we'll just jump right into it. All right. So this first question, we're going to give this to Pippa. What led you to pursue engineering? So it kind of starts off as a bad experience at uh, an accountant. I was convinced I was going to go work at a banking, at a bank or in an accountant. And that was a really bad experience. So I was looking for other alternatives and dad suggested civil engineering. I realized I could kind of do that at university. I could do maths. I could do technical drawing. It sounded quite interesting. There's going to be some outside work, but I didn't really have a clue what I was letting myself in for. So yeah, kind of fell into it and then fell out the other side of my university course and having spent some summers on site, quite liked it. And Ariane, how did you get into this? I started out wanting to go into architecture and realized that I didn't have the creativity to make that a successful venture. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided to go into civil engineering. I really don't deal with buildings very often anymore. I do mostly linear highways and municipal roadway design. So a little bit different from architecture, but still a lot of fun. And it's been an interesting journey. Some days I'm not so sure I picked the right career, but it is what it is. (laughs) And here we are today. Well, there you go. I feel like probably a lot of people worry that they haven't picked the right career. Yeah. If I got a dollar for every single civil engineer that originally wanted to be an architect... (laughs) I would be somewhat richer, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And let's fill out the panel. Vivian, what led you to pursue engineering? So growing up, my mom used to actually point out a lot of the structures that my dad had built because my dad's a civil engineer. And she would point out as we were driving down the street throughout the city, oh, your dad built this, your dad built that. And it could have been something really silly, like just a parking garage, but even that kind of hit home, that it was pretty cool, and I went into that. Cool. Pippa, what does diversity look like right now in the industry, and how do you want to see it changed? 
in our immediate office, I think diversity looks pretty good. Like I feel really fortunate for working in the office that I do, that we've got a real mix of people from a whole bunch of backgrounds. But really, as soon as you look outside of that, I'm still going to meetings where I'm the only female in the meeting. Mm-hmm. And when I came over to, to Canada, things were beginning to feel a little bit more balanced in the UK. And then I felt like I'd gone back quite a few years coming over here when I sat in rooms and felt that I was being isolated again. So yes, it, it's still very much there. And, and looking out onto the con- kind of the construction side of things and the, and the trades, there's so limited number of females heading in that way. But how do I want to see it change? I'd love that we didn't have to have this conversation so that we'd all just kind of like one team and we've just got a multitude of kind of different experiences because of whether we're male or female, because of whether we came from different countries previously or or just what our, our backgrounds are. It'd be great if we didn't have that conversation, but it's that's such a long way off. Yeah. It's really interesting what you said about how it's different in the UK. I'm always curious how that balance looks like in different places and whether Canada is ahead or behind on things. I don't really know how we compare. There's a lot of societies and groups. It feels like there's more groups uh, working harder over in the UK that have been established for longer. Mm. And the, the groups that are here still feel quite fresh and new, albeit like WTS have a huge amount of energy to get people talking. It's still quite a new group. Right, right. And Ariane, you're the only one who is working in a company that Pippa and I aren't working in. What does diversity look like for you? I second what Pippa said about cultural diversity. I think there are a lot of people that I work with on a day-to-day basis that come from a variety of backgrounds, whether they are recent immigrants to Canada or Canadian citizens of second or third generation families that originated from outside of North America. But in terms of gender balance, there's a lot more men in the room still. We're not even close to parity, unfortunately. And like Pippa said, there's still a lot of work to be done. And it's evidenced by the fact that we're still having this conversation on a regular basis about diversity, both culturally and in terms of gender. Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges that women face in this industry? And are there subtle things that men might not even realize that they're doing in the workplace that you find harmful? And sorry, not that you find harmful, that are harmful. Yeah, I was on site a couple of weeks ago, actually leading a pre-bid meeting for a contract we had let for tender. And one of the meeting attendees came up to me afterwards and said that, you know, he thought that I did a really good job and he thought that this kind of meeting might be difficult, not really knowing anything about me or my background or work history. And I'm sure he meant it as very polite and, and encouraging, but it came off really condescending, unfortunately. And that's something that we do face on a a relatively frequent basis. There's just, I guess, a misunderstanding between what is positive encouragement and positive feedback versus what's a little bit patronizing and belittling, which really doesn't help encourage women to participate in in engineering and other male-dominated industries. Yeah, I totally hear that. Definitely just when they're surprised that you do well, you're not sure if that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Ariane and I are still fairly early in our career. And Pippa, I mean, arguably you are too. You're really kind of hitting your peak of <laughs> your mid-career. But do you find you face the same thing when you walk into a room? Yeah, all sitting in the office with a spot next to a door if you're the first one up to go and let somebody into the office or just kind of introduce them or show them around, then they're certainly making assumptions as to what my role is and not what my seniority is or, or whether it's kind of admin or engineering. There's still the kind of sometimes the assumption that it's, it's an admin role rather than an engineering role that I have. Mm-hmm. And other subtle things are just an email that says, gents, at the start. <laughs> Which only happened like yesterday or Monday. It yeah. was like, really still just realize who you're writing to. And then certainly when I was out on site, just the lack of PPE, just it doesn't make you feel like a female on site. Like you roll up the bottom of the legs because 
you can never get one that's short enough or you roll up the sleeves <laughs> on your jacket because they just come in size small is just size huge yeah <laughs> um, yeah I find it sometimes difficult too in this industry when you go to like a networking event I find sometimes it's difficult to toe the line between being friendly and outgoing and trying to make a connection like a professional connection and then sometimes giving off the wrong vibe yeah I've definitely fallen into that trap a couple of times where oh I I wasn't intending to hit on anybody. I was just trying to be friendly and get a contact. I think that's like one really common one in engineering. And still like that social aspect of networking is a real factor in in how you can grow your, your network and therefore grow your connections and therefore make opportunities for yourself as to who somebody calls for, whether it's just uh, looking for support on jobs and things like that across businesses or whether it's kind of, oh, we've we've got a new job kind of thing, and and who do we reach out to? And certainly when we've been growing the business, and the kind of who do who do we try and pick to come and fill those gaps? If you haven't got those connections made, it's really difficult for you to be the person that's the top of the the phone list. Yeah, I bet. And did you have? A, I assume you had a lot more connections before coming to Canada, and now you're kind of rebuilding your network, right? That was so hard. I arrived in August and so in in the fall you've always got the big kind of end of year events and walking into kind of the Toronto Railway Club events and suddenly back in a room which is so male dominated and you just think <laughs> oh my word I'm starting again and nobody knows me. That's a really intimidating platform too. The Railway Club is very bro-y. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I felt like I'd gone back so many years. (laughs) One thing I want to add right now, I know everyone in Toronto has been in self-isolation for the last few weeks and being relatively new to Parsons, I'm still growing my contacts within the company Mm -hmm. and having started new projects while working from home and spending more time on conference calls, not necessarily on video calls, I've been able to make a lot more I guess, blind first impressions in a way, which has really helped because you get to meet people and judge them on the quality of their work and how they respond to to conversations without seeing them and without having any kind of bias or preconceived notions based on first appearances. And I think it's been a really interesting experience. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I think we always push for the video calls to get that face-to-face, but that's really interesting. I think the video calls are really great for maintaining that connection, but for the first time you reach out to someone, if you're kind of cold calling them or don't really know much about them and you're trying to make that first link, it's been really almost refreshing to have someone respond to you as a professional without any kind of prejudice or anything really to, to base their opinion on a view from, from the get-go. I think it's really changed how, how people have been interacting lately. Hmm. Wow. And you're kind of getting the benefit of the doubt without the unconscious bias, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, they, they know you're a woman from how you sound over the phone or whatever, but they have no idea what you look like. They have no idea how old you might be or how old they think you might be. And you know, and they wouldn't have any preconceived notions of your qualifications based on your appearance. And it just adds, uh, not a barrier, but just evens out the playing field a little bit more for the of us who, who have these unconscious disadvantages. They're not making any assumptions about what experience you've got. So you can ask those questions freely. And I think that definitely takes some pressure off. I think there were some questions that I've had on other calls that talk about kind of that that visibility there when you've got a bigger group on a on one of these conference calls as to whether you get a chance to speak out and whether you try and find that moment to ask your question and you still can't get in because there's some others mm-hmm. who are more vocal and louder and typically probably louder and more vocal in the regular meeting room, but just keep on talking and, and don't let you have your thing because you can't put your hand up or kind of gesture quite so easily. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a big problem in boardrooms. Getting interrupted is a pretty big thing. And sometimes I think when I notice someone else getting interrupted too, right? Like we have some really kind of quieter, shyer colleagues 
And sometimes I find that they get talked over when they have really good points. And that's really tough. (laughs) So speaking honestly, have you had uncomfortable experiences as a woman at work? And if so, how do you overcome them? So I remember turning up on a site. It was probably around my fourth project. So I've been on a few sites and kind of got myself settled into kind of what I was doing in my career. And there were some guys on site that just sort of didn't believe that I was the engineer. And it really knocked me back because I'd kind of got settled in the previous projects. Like nobody questioned where my role was or what I was doing. And then suddenly kind of five years into your career, somebody's going, you're an engineer. So yes, but I remember it happening, but I don't remember thinking bad coming out of it. So I think I just kind of went, oh, well, yeah, I am. Let's get on with it. Let's do this. (laughs) Because you just kind of have to on sites. There's no place to hide really the other uncomfortable experience that I had thought of was that uh, just those early days of the sites and the calendars, like there were loads of them in the construction foreman's office of scantily clad girls kind of thing. And it was just okay. <laughs> like it was just ordinary. But what shocked me most was that recently I heard that they were still around. And that really surprised me. Really? Yeah. Still seen kind of just a couple of years ago. Wow which is a bit shocking. It is shocking too, especially because most of what we do is public works. Like I always think that that wouldn't necessarily happen as much given that it's like a government site usually. So Ariane, let's say, have you had uncomfortable experiences as a woman at work? I've definitely been bullied by clients, but I don't necessarily think that's strictly to do with me being a woman. I think it's just having poor clients in some cases because they've definitely (laughs) bullied other co-workers of mine or theirs. It just seems to be who they are and an unfortunate part of the the industry. Uncomfortable experiences in terms of people making assumptions about your role. I know Vivian and I were in a meeting a few years ago and a comment was made about updating a, this individual didn't need any help word processing this document. You know, we'd offered to update it because we had authored the the report or whatever it was. And the way that the response came back was very condescending. And there's always, I think, going to be some of those quips that were a long way off from changing that mentality, unfortunately. But in terms of really harmful experiences, I guess I'm lucky to say that I haven't experienced anything like that. And like Pippa said, whatever happens on site, you kind of just have to brush it off and move on. Mm. I'll add to that. I remember that quip very well. I remember you and I being shocked that we were told not to finalize, not to be in the same room as we finalized that document because we didn't need word processing help, even though we had worked days on trying to put this thing together last minute And I remember crying on the TTC (laughs) all the way home (laughs) and some poor woman who had overheard our whole conversation saying, you hang in there, you go back in there the next morning. (laughs) And we did, we hung in there. And unfortunately, a lot of it is, yeah, having to roll with the punches and get back in. Yeah. Well, let's talk about happier experiences. Can you recall a time when you benefited from an advocate in your life and how was it effective? Let's go with Ariane. I think there's a lot more awareness of imbalance in the industry. It's a lot easier to find advocates for women within the, the organization and, and around the table when you're in multi-organizational work meetings and whatnot. So you know, getting interrupted in meetings these days is becoming less and less frequent because it's a lot easier to find people who will stand up for you or interrupt the interrupter back and and give you a chance to speak. So there's definitely progress on that front. And there's, there are a lot more sources of support popping up like the Women in Transportation Seminar and, and places to go for individuals looking to grow their network and invent about how their day is going or find ways to try and improve working conditions for everyone by finding allies to to support each other through this transition as we try and achieve more balanced industries. And Pippa, can you recall a time when you've benefited from an advocate in your life and, and tell us how it was effective? Yeah, sure. 
So there's a chap called Bob Older, who was my supervising civil engineer through my chartership progression. And he picked holes in my reports, no end, before I got to chartership. But it appears that he was quite an ally because when the company was doing a, a leadership course, I had no intention of putting myself through that and filling in the application form. And he said, no, really, you really ought to do it. And the deadline was pretty close. So I did. And I got on a leadership course. And, you know, the leadership course was the one where I worked in a small group and we reached out to a bunch of design consultants, one of which was McDonald. And the work we were doing was connections at reasonably senior level within those companies. And it was kind of through those connections that I ended up kind of reconnecting those connections and getting my way into Mark McDonald. So he was a great person. And, and since then, he's always been around and wanted to kind of bounce an idea off. And then similar to Ariane talking about meetings, there was a chap in the project meetings and it was, it was Crossrail. So sometimes you get project-wide meetings. So you get contractors from all the different multiple sites of stations and everything, and then all the Crossrail people. And it's a big meeting. But he became my ally and he was he would always look out for me if I was trying to get a word into the questions and and that kind of I can't quite find a spot in the in the conversations. Mm-hmm. He'd just go he'd catch the eye of the, the chairperson or he'd just go, Oh, Pippa needs to say something. And <laughs> <laughs> oh but I, I could find my voice and he was great. So looking out for other people in meetings now, trying to keep an eye out for those that are trying to find that spot in the conversation. I really try to do because it's so important that we make sure that the the quieter people have that voice and and don't get overspoken. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like a great story, having someone just kind of take you under their wing and, and let you speak. That's so intimidating in a big meeting like that. Yep. So I managed to position myself in the right place in the meeting rooms. Like I'd sit opposite him so that he could always see when I was trying to get a word in. Oh, that's great. How do you find the right employer and work environment to grow your career? See, that's really difficult because I filled in a sponsorship form and they turned me down and said, well, we'll put you on the waiting list. And somebody else failed at their A-levels. So I snuck in to my <laughs> career and then didn't change my job for, for 20 years. So finding the right employer, I probably don't have much to speak on. But what I probably would say is kind of looking at it, it would be kind of like, doing that research and looking at the policies and actually looking at what EDI, kind of the uh, diversity groups, do they kind of recognize that? Do they set up for that? And and what training do they have? Do they have that career progression? Is it, how do they kind of allocate the training as to who gets those opportunities to, to step up the career ladder? Is it done by kind of age or is it at a certain stage in your career? I think those are important to, to know what you're looking at and companies that are well set up are likely to be good. But also if you turn up for a, an interview, then look at who else is in the in the room, look at who else is in that office. That will give you a really good indication as to what kind of team, what the team is going to look like. Yeah, for sure. I've turned down jobs because they put me in front of a panel to interview and not a single woman was there. Just three kind of middle-aged white guys all asking me the same questions. And I went, I don't think this is the place. <laughs> Ariane, how did you find kind of in your latest job search as well? I think I've kind of fallen into both of the organizations that I've worked for in my career. I mean, my first one, I was there for seven years or so, and I had started out of school and I was so desperate for a job. I said I would take kind of anything that that came along and luckily it worked out well for me. And I'd been there long enough that no one thought I would ever leave. So I shocked a few people, I think, when I did eventually (laughs) leave. Where I am now was based on a a contact referral through Vivian, actually. So that panned out really well. I had one interview with the company. I had definitely done my research on the company first, though, to to know what I was getting into. And it it all worked out really well. But I agree. The interview process is so important, not just for employers, but also for employees. Make sure you've got your own priorities figured out what you want out of the position and and whether that organization can satisfy those, those needs for you. It's got to be a two-way street. And I don't think enough people really take that into consideration, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. because they're, you know, in, in need of a job or don't think that they have earned or deserve everything that, that they really need out of that organization. So it is important to to read up on the company. 
ask questions about your future team, find out what the company's values are and how you fit in with those to really make sure that you'll be happy there and it'll meet all of your kind of personal needs. And you want to make sure that your work is rewarding, right? Definitely. One of the things I learned during job searching, because I've, I've interviewed around a lot, I'm very wishy-washy. And I think the thing I realized is that you can take your time. Like if you have a job and you're thinking of moving and you want to go somewhere new, a lot of employers will try to rush you into a decision. Whereas you can really do this on your own timeline and you can take your time to get to know the company or even ask for like follow-up meetings if you aren't sure. I remember texting with Andreas when I was considering the offer and just being like, I'm not sure about this. Like, can you give me some more information on what kind of job this would be and all this stuff? And I think if you can even just set up a relationship with the people that you're going to be working with before you accept, that's a good foot to be on. I think Vivian, you had a really good idea of what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go, which probably makes that easier. When I interviewed with Parsons and when they hired me, they were more, you know, Ariane's going to be a great fit. We're not quite sure what she's going to do yet, but we'll make it work. And it's it's been lucky, I guess, that it's worked out really well. And I do have a really fantastic manager who's been standing up for me and has really pushed me forward in the organization. So I'm really grateful for that. And I do consider that a lot of my career and the the benefits I've had in my career are based on luck and just being in the right place at the right time and finding the right fit for what I've wanted to accomplish so far in my career. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you for that job if I didn't know you were great. And Pippa, <laughs> I can see you have something to say there. About being in the right place at the right time, that's absolutely it. It's not necessarily luck, but it's definitely having those opportunities. And I was up in head office and heard about a project that was going to be starting up. And so therefore, I just started to kind of get to know who the project manager was going to be, because I was still on another project, because I'd heard about it. And then my next project was that project, and it was so much closer to home. (laughs) So it is It's about being in the right place at the right time, just finding those opportunities as to move yourself through through the business and through those kind of career opportunities, for sure. Yeah, I like that, actually, because I find that I, I think I'm not bashful to just ask for for certain opportunities as well of like hearing about a job and just kind of poking your head through the door and being like, hey, what about me? It's hard for them to say no when you are that that forward. <laughs> but it works, right? It, absolutely. Absolutely. It's worked a few times in my career through a number of the, the projects and your opportunity that you took to go to Australia as well. I don't know that was listening in, but... You said you put your hand up and that was great. Yeah, well, it was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, it was, no, it was good. It was good. I got to go along too. There's a lot of late nights for me, but that's okay. So how can you advocate for one another and for early career women joining the workforce? So I think we definitely need to kind of help others find their voice and provide feedback to them, but in front of others. So management gets to hear about what we're thinking about the next wave coming through the office and pass that knowledge on, that they might not see who's doing what, who's approving, who's succeeding, who's putting themselves forward. So we should definitely kind of do that positive feedback in, in front of in front of others or include them in an email if we're not doing kind of those group or we're not in the office so you can't do it as a as a thing in, with other people around you, then copy them in the, on an email. I think I think that's really strong. In a, in a meeting, we touched on it earlier as well, just kind of bringing people into the conversation and making sure that if somebody comes up with an idea that they get the credit for it. So often that I've seen females try and put forward an idea and then somebody else, male usually, will take the credit for mm-hmm. their idea. And for kind of early career women, I think we, we touched on it earlier as well about kind of recruitment. It's always been said that a male will go for a job interview when they look at the kind of the criteria that's on the on the rec can check off kind of 60% of what's on the list, or maybe 80, but generally closer to 60. And then the female will look at it and go, oh, well, I can't do that. And I can't do that. And I can't do that. I'm not ready for this job. So therefore, if you can get them through the door and into the room, then just kind of drilling down and, and really pulling that out. I think that really helps 
because we're not, we're not necessarily very good at selling ourselves. <laughs> and so therefore, just thinking about it in that interview as to extracting that information and really drilling down and working out what they really can do and finding that actually they can do a whole lot more than they, they first thought they could. Yeah, for sure. Ariane, how can you advocate for one another and for early career women joining the workforce? I totally agree with Pippa and that we need to support each other and help each other be heard, not just woman to woman, but also finding allies of, of any background, of any gender to help support yourself and help support other women is so important. Listening to other individuals and finding out what their career goals are and seeing if you can help them out is also great. It's not easy for everyone to to poke their head into that door and, and volunteer for opportunities. And it'll help anyone just starting their career to have those individuals willing to stand up for them and, and help them find those opportunities if they're not at that point where they feel like they can speak up for themselves yet. I think that's such such a, a key step for people building their careers of, of any gender, really, but particularly for women who are a little bit more timid and soft-spoken and may not be as venturesome as uh, other candidates. Ariane, I'm going to ask you, because you and I are pretty close in like age and experience, but I think I was a little bit shocked when I realized I could start mentoring. I don't know if you felt the same way when the first time like a kind of a junior engineer or someone like starts sidling up to you. I was, I felt like, oh, really? Is that, is that who I am now? <laughs> I don't know if you had the same experience. It was, it was definitely a, an epiphany moment. The first time someone was like, can I use you as a mentor? I go, oh, is that what I'm doing now? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a neat realization that you've transitioned out of the early stages of your career. Now you're experienced and can help pass on some of that experience to younger generations. Hopefully that doesn't make me sound old. <laughs> Ariane again. What are some policy changes or systemic changes that you think could really make a difference in promoting more women in engineering and especially in leadership positions? Well, that's a tough one. I think there's been so much talk lately about policy. I'm not sure that there are very many changes left to make. It's more about actually, I think, implementing and upholding those policies and keeping organizations accountable to the commitments they make for gender and cultural diversity. I think there's a lot of really good policies out there and it's just making sure that they're put into action and actually implemented. Do you guys have any specifics, like anything that you think is talked about a lot and maybe not implemented well? I think there's one, I don't know if it's PEO, but there's a 30 by 30 is 30% of the workplace is women or something like that. I'm not super well read up on it, but there's, there's a lot of, kind of goals like that out there in the industry about bringing up the the number of women in the industry. And I think it is so important to have role models in the industry that you want to get into or you're thinking of exploring because it, it shows you that there are options out there. And there's always the balancing act between making sure that those individuals are qualified and truly are good representatives of those careers and those industries versus just having them as placeholders or, or figurines. Yeah. Pippa, any thoughts? I think it picked up on kind of the, the key aspects of just follow through with the policies that we've got in place. I, I guess we could go down the rabbit hole of getting job titles appropriate. There's a, an opportunity for improving how titles match the, the role. I know I landed with my job title because it was early days for Mark McDonald when I came over as uh, Mark McDonald Canada and there was no process in place. So they took my job title that I had in the UK and just went, that would do. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not fussed by it. But now the team's growing and different titles are coming in. It just needs to be kept fair and balanced. But I guess the other the other one to look at is talking about role models is how do you get kind of females into those senior positions and do you kind of put in the quotas? And there's there was always talk about quotas in the UK and should we or shouldn't we? Because quotas forces companies to do it, but then you always kind of feel, well, did I get this role on merit or was I there for the quota? And then you can prove yourself and say, yeah, it was really was there. But it's it's a tricky one to to do. But I know the US did it and there's a lady, she's Linda Miller. I think she's amazing. I worked with her on Crossrail 
And she came through to her position through a quota and she was promoted because they needed a female. But she's gone on to do such amazing stuff around the world, down in Australia. She was doing tours and so on. So it's a really difficult balance in my head as to whether it's right or wrong. But we definitely need more role models because then the next generation coming in can aspire to, to be someone. It's like, who did I aspire to be? My project managers all had beards. It's like, <laughs> I didn't want to be a project manager. <laughs> so yeah, well, there's not many people to aim for, nobody to aspire me or inspire me as a, as a junior engineer. Yeah, I. Uh, this might be an unpopular statement, a little bit on PC to talk about, but you know, you talk about promoting a woman for a quota. Does that mean she's there on merit? I find that I've worked with a lot of senior management and senior engineers that men or women, they did not deserve to be there. A lot of people are taking up space. Like I'm trying to just think <laughs> we should definitely promote on merit, but just because we might be filling a quota by promoting a woman doesn't mean that it's always so fair otherwise anyway. I think there's a lot of bluffing to the top in our industry. <laughs> and, you know, at least if you fill it with a quota, then there's some good to be done there in terms of being a role model. Vivian, you and I used to joke about the gray-haired men in the room and seeing if we would have any more success in, <laughs> in those meetings by dyeing our hair gray and, you know, penciling on a mustache. <laughs> I had a girlfriend in the UK and the two of us thought, well, hey, we, we could take on one of these director roles and we'll do it 50-50. So we just worked half a week. We felt that we'd still be paid more <laughs> than what we were doing. And we could do it just as well. And we'd have a, a lunch on a Wednesday to do a handover between the week. Yeah, we had a plan as well as to how we were going to get ourselves into that role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I will say I obviously work in a different industry, but I think one of the things that's overlooked when people argue against, you know, quotas and everything, there's a lot to be said for hiring someone who has something to prove, right? So you're taking somebody, you're saying, okay, you know, you fit some box or whatever, we're going to give you this job. And they go in with something to prove as opposed to if you give it to someone and they just go in, they think that they deserve it. And I, I do think that that's, you know, it's kind of an X factor, but I think that it is a factor quite often. Yeah, definitely. It's a bit of an underdog syndrome. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Rising up to something versus feeling like you deserve it. I'm in favor of quotas personally. <laughs> I, I understand the, the potential blowback. But anyhow. Yeah, this isn't about you, no, John. No, I know. I was just, <laughs> just offering my support. <laughs> but we appreciate your ideas, right? That's right. <laughs> we need advocates. So we need male advocates as well to support us and promote us. So yeah, we'll take anybody that kind of helps us along our way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do try to be an ally however I can. Uh, let's get into the two most fun questions, most likely. Pippa, do you have any inspiring or strong female role models, whether personal or just someone you know of, Vivian wrote a note here that Michelle Obama is absolutely a legitimate response. Yeah. There's a lady called Jean Venables, who was the first female president of the Institution of Civil Engineers. Mm. So she's super amazing. But I met her when I was on a working group for a competition that was being run by the ICE. And so we were in the working group. There was obviously time to kind of just sit and chat. And I actually got to know her, which was lovely. And she told me about her first day and trying to get herself a job and she's another half a generation generation older than I am but she just knocked on the gates of a, of a building site and went in and asked for a job it's like and the, the reaction obviously kind of that 20 years older ago than I so I thought she was just amazing but it also kind of to go into IC events and then just be able to go up to the old past president and just say hi and just to know somebody in that position and just to see how she's kind of progressed her career was it made me feel good and just somebody to aspire to. But what's interesting at the moment is the next president at the ICE is going to be the second female, a lady called Rachel Skinner. And she's progressed up through her career amazingly well. And she's got three kids. So hats off to her. Wow. Um, I have two. I have one for each hand. Um, <laughs> and she's got three. So yeah, really looking forward to what she's going to do and say and what her aims for the year are going to be but highly recognized in the industry. 
so yes, those would be my top two names. That's awesome. Sorry, I, I'm not super familiar with ICE because that's a UK institute, right? Yep. Institution of Civil Engineers. It's a membership body for, for civil engineers. Engineering body is the engineering council, the ones that kind of hand out the professional qualification that gets us our chartership. But for the UK folk, we've, we're chartered. We've always got the other letters, which are our member institution. Right. Okay. Ariane, any strong role models? That's a really tough question to answer. I'm always very awed by some of the success, successful women that I've had the opportunity to meet in my career. There's a mayor of a small county that I'm, I have a huge girl crush on. I'm not going to say which one because it's an ongoing project of mine, but she's <laughs> an engineer and a lawyer and a pilot and you know, in her prime and super successful, very knowledgeable. It's been amazing how much she's been able to accomplish so far. And and I really look up to her, but I kind of struggle with finding role models because you see these women at the top of organizations that are not, that don't seem to be bringing other women up with them. And it's kind of a, a hard thing to come to terms with. Like they've obviously done very well for themselves and made it to the upper rungs of the ladder, but they're still surrounded by other men, right? And and it's an issue that we see in so many organizations across so many different industries about how the the upper management levels are are mostly male dominated. And so it's hard to find, I think, role models there because they don't appear to be supporting other women to to reach those levels as well. I was watching Working Moms on CBC a couple of days ago and one of them was doing an interview for a magazine and the, the question was, what are you doing to send the elevator back down, right? How are you bringing oh, other wow. women up with you? And I thought it was a really good question and something that a lot of people need to ask themselves, not just, you know, the individuals at the top of the, the management chain, but also individuals in the middle of their careers. What are you doing to support your coworkers and other connections? And how do we bring ourselves up as a group and support each other, not just you know, step on each other to try and get ahead. That's not productive either. Yeah. So a kind of a depressing answer to that question. (laughs) If you wanted some real talk. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good answer. I personally find that it's really tough to, and, and it's probably not fair to put like one person as the role model for your career. And that took me a little bit of time to learn about, you know, and I don't think that matters about gender is that it's probably not even realistic to take one person and be like, I want their career or I want their progression or I want how they handle things. And it took me a long time to understand, like, probably you need multiple role models for different aspects and you piece together this kind of Frankenstein idea of where you want your career to go and taking just bits and pieces. I've had really good male role models as well. And I've had really good female role models. And it's, yeah, piecing together something that makes sense for you. I find I get more benefit out of some of my mentors than I might get out of role models. Like I I really appreciate the conversations I've had with them and being able to bounce ideas off of them versus just trying to emulate someone, if that makes sense. Definitely. I had a a project manager that I worked with when I was still in Calgary and I was pretty early in my career and she was coming up as a senior PM and she's now leading a lot of the major designs on highway projects and interchanges in Alberta. And I haven't spoken with her in a number of years, but we still keep in contact. And I just remember she was so engaged at work. She was technically versed. She was a great PM. She was super engaged in the corporate work. She was a mom of two young children. She was part of a curling club. She would come out with us for beers every Friday. Her husband would come out too. And I would be like, what's happening with your kids? And we'd be like, we left them some Cheerios. They're fine. (laughs) (laughs) She was just such a cool could do it all kind of person. And I remember at one point asking her, I was like, how are you doing all of this? And she's like, oh, I just don't sleep. (laughs) 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 Which is like, I mean, a little bit facetious, but I think that was my first like, wow, she is quite the woman and 
quite an amazing presence. And she could walk into a room and just dominate the conversation. Like she was good at getting people aligned. I think that takes a lot of energy though. Like to keep going at that pace, you can do it for so long, but I don't know. I just can't, you put so much energy or I put so much energy into, into what I do that with all the other things is sometimes something just gives. Yeah. Maybe there was another backstory that you didn't hear about, but that sounds amazing. (laughs) She sounds amazing. I will add, like, she was pretty open about, about like the limits. Like she didn't set that up as a standard of how you should do it. I remember one time when we met and Vivian was just like, how do you do it? How do you do it? And she just like sighed and she's just like, yeah, the kids had cereal for dinner last night. (laughs) Something gives. That's right. Something (laughs) gives. (laughs) Yeah. But she was honest about it, didn't try to hide it, and also went as hard as she could for as long as she could. Yeah. Let's go to the final question here. Pippa, what's the best part about being an engineer? What's, What's great about this work? So I've got background. That's one of mine. That's mine. I built that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a multi-story, high-rise, residential, with multiple facades, retained facades that had to be held in place, vibration issues with the railway station that's just off screen. And up until I was kind of seven months pregnant, walking up 10 flights of stairs and just kind of managing multiple contractors. But I just love it, just seeing those things built. And it's so varied and challenging and there's different people and different teams. And once it's finished, you start a new one and kind of gives you the opportunity to take those lessons that you learned to the next project. And they don't quite know that where you failed on the next one because it's a new team sometimes. But there's, there's so many new people. And then after a few years or after many years, suddenly you go around in circles and the people that you saw kind of 15, 20 years ago <laughs> suddenly appear in the room in front of you. And you're like, I saw you back on my student project. And then you suddenly think it's such a small world and we're all in the same game together. So I think it's, yeah, people, projects, fun, challenging, varied. Do you find that changes as you move up? Because you're obviously like moving into the more corporate sphere of things. I'm still having fun. (laughs) And switching between different projects, definitely working with different people and different teams. Certainly still challenging, different kind of challenges. And beginning to slowly see repeat people on projects. So yeah, it looks and feels different, but still very similar. Ariane, why do you like being an engineer? I second what Pippa said. It is really, really rewarding to actually see your design come to life, you know, be able to touch it and walk on it or, you know, live in it in in Pippa's case. Uh, It's it's a really neat feeling to to say that you've actually contributed something tangible to the world. It's really cool. <laughs> Definitely challenging, sometimes overwhelmingly challenging, but that much more rewarding when the project finally wraps up and you said, you know, you were able to surmount those challenges and and contribute to either economies or environments or whatever it is the industry that you're working in. It's it's it is really rewarding. That's probably my favorite part. You know how you were saying, Vivian, at the start that your dad or your mom used to take you around and show you things that your dad had built? I do the same to my kids. <laughs> they know which is my step at London Bridge Station, which is different size to the others, because I <laughs> set it out not quite the same, <laughs> quite correctly, but it's my step. And they know of other projects that I've built. So yes, it, it passes down. Yeah, that is so so rewarding. And it always makes me wonder about like the planners. You know, I look at some of the planners like Tyson, our group, and I'm just thinking that may not be built for like 50 years. How do you wait that long? I get really impatient if it's not built in five years. But yeah, that is the coolest part of the job to put your stamp on things literally and figuratively. Also scary. Because then you go, oh, now I'm responsible for this. And this is kind of terrifying, but also <laughs> rewarding. <laughs> Any final words about, you know, encouraging women to pursue STEM and, you know, to hang in there when it's tough? I think there's so much that we can do and we all talk about it. And going back to John's question about policies, I think it starts right from the ground and making sure that we have inclusive language, like Pippa said, you know, not starting the the meetings off with, hey guys, or, you know, gents, how's it going? 
you know, little grassroots things like that, I think can make such a big difference. It's not going to be overnight for sure, but there's definitely a lot of good work happening to encourage women to persevere and keep following their passions and, and find fields within the, the STEM fields that they feel at home in and are comfortable in and can excel at. I think for me, it's just being there and visible and speaking out and letting people know that there's opportunities. It's okay to to choose this as a career. Letting people know that there's so many different parts of it as well. Like all three of us have got very different jobs and roles and kind of our our experiences are very different as to what we've done, that it's not just one one shape fits all. And and just keep on keep on shouting about it and keep on saying that this is a great place to be. This is really exciting and this is kind of challenging in whichever way you want it to be. And Ariana, when you mentioned about the kind of the elevator pulling up the next generation through, I think uh, or sending the elevator down to go and collect the next generation, I think is great. I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that you can reach out for help. I think there's a lot of women that maybe, or men, there's a lot of people that just don't reach out for help when things get tough. And there's a lot of people that can empathize and a lot of people that can advocate and maybe just don't know you're struggling at work. Certainly, I think personally, I I sometimes worry that if I ask for help, then it's a show of weakness or it's a show that I'm not ready for a role when in reality, like everyone could use a hand sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Making yourself accessible for others is definitely key. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for joining and giving your feedback and having this conversation It's International Women in Engineering Day, which apparently is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I'm really glad that you were able to join us. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Glad to join you. Well, that was a really good talk. I hope you enjoyed all of that. And next week, we'll be back to our regular recording. We'll pick a monument. We'll talk about them. John will ask questions. I'll try to answer them. Yeah. And then, yeah, maybe we'll do it a little bit differently where Vivian will ask questions and I'll try to answer them. Ooh. I don't know. It's all topsy-turvy. We are uh, breaking the format. Two, two podcasts in a row, we're breaking the format. I know. Such an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> Anyway, until next time, remember to always measure in metrics.